How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. My guest today is someone who has been on the show before when we were live at Expo. His story is a great one, and it's all about service. Bridging service to his country and service to his patients is what Dr. Michael Loria has accomplished. As an Air Force Special Operations PJ, he never thought he would be a doctor. Now he finds himself completing his fellowship as an EMS physician at the University of New Mexico and is about to begin his second board certification process in critical care medicine. He certainly cannot be branded as an underachiever. With me today to discuss his story and the importance of EMS board certification is Dr. Michael Loria. Doc, thanks for joining me today. Oh, no problem. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Absolutely. So, Obviously, we had the opportunity to sit down at Expo. We had a great conversation there, and, and we got to speaking after that uh, quite a bit. Um, learned a lot about you and your story and, and said, you know, the, the fellowship is such an interesting uh, component to our industry right now. And I definitely wanted to bring you back so that we could dive into it a little bit uh, deeper for the listener to understand what that's all about. And so as we begin... Um, what I would ask you is, as you complete your board certification in EMS, did you ever think you'd be in this spot? Yeah, so the funny thing is, and I, and I always tell this, life leads you in very interesting uh, ways. And I joke around with people and tell them that when I was 18, I, you know, <laughs> I didn't really want to leave. I didn't really want to go to college. Uh, I just wanted to be kind of an athletic trainer and stay where I was uh, going to high school in Connecticut. And then, um, sure enough, I ended up doing that and going to college and then never dreamed of being in the military or a paramedic or anything like that, but um, started working with the fire department when I was uh, an undergrad back in like 2002. And then um, someone had recommended the PJ program to me, and I was like, the PJ program? What? The Air Force? You got to be kidding me. Uh, and sure enough, I checked it out, and it was super cool and uh, went for it and you know, by the grace of God, made it through. Um, and then um, when I got out, uh, I just started working as a flight paramedic back in 2011. And um, and then thankfully, I had some physician role models along the way uh, at Dartmouth-Hitchcock uh, Medical Center up in New Hampshire that um, that poked me and prodded me and encouraged me to just go ahead and, uh, and apply to medical school. So and the rest is history. But you seem to, um, you, you just glanced over that military story, which, uh, as you know, in, in our conversations, I have a tremendous uh, respect and, and gratitude for all of those that serve in our armed forces. And, you know, you discovered the PJ program. And not everybody is familiar with the PJ program. And, uh, you know, you even agreed that it's kind of um, something that's not spoken about often. But I don't think that you can really, uh, I don't think the listener can appreciate the PJ program unless they know a little bit about it. So maybe just explain to uh, us what that was all about and, and what the PJ program is. Yeah, so the, the pararescue career field is 
um, housed underneath the Air Force, but uh, is basically the, uh, I would say, the elite personnel recovery and technical rescue capability in the Department of Defense and in the Special Operations Command in particular. Um, so our mission is primarily combat search and rescue, but also um, direct operational medical support for various special operations teams around the world, um, which is which really attracted me to the career field because it was focused on rescue uh, and the both the technical rescue, the 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 marriage of the technical rescue piece and the advanced medical capability was really the thing that. Uh, piqued my interest in, in the first place and the stuff from the, the fire service that I absolutely loved. Um, so it, it, uh, it is today still uh, an uh, amazing and spectacular career field with some uh, really incredible and talented guys doing amazing things around all corners of the, uh, of the world as we speak. Uh, but for me, it was uh, particularly attractive and really opened up uh, my eyes to all sorts of things in the world of pre-hospital medicine. And and that was really the reason why I brought that that question to the forefront is that I, I do believe, you know, in hearing about your experiences with the PJs, it, it was the actual foundation for what it is you're doing now. You know, you, you realize that that type of profession was where you wanted to advance. You wanted to help people. You wanted to be the rescue person. You wanted to do um, flight operations, which you continue to do. Um, these are all of the things. So when I ask you why EMS, board certification, I'm assuming that that's the answer, correct? Yeah. So um, really it was the, it was, it was then, and then that motivated me to be very uh, passionate about uh, the the pre-hospital pre-hospital operations and and really advanced care and pre-hospital operations and that's what sort of continues to push me through this fellowship into critical care fellowship and um, focusing on uh, a lot of the pre-hospital care for uh, a number of reasons I think that if we if I think about sort of reflecting on the link between the pararescue stuff and why I'm doing this right now I, I think the the reasons are are several um, first and foremost I think that we are very focused in the you know in civilian EMS on protocols guidelines who does what whether it's the fire department or EMS or fire EMS or uh, where certain lines are drawn based upon the structure of our systems. The interesting thing is that um, the in the world of special operations medicine, um, you're often the only medic, and you're in these very unique, very crazy circumstances, whether you're in Iraq doing combat search and rescue or other very far-flung corners of the world doing prolonged field care. What you're capable of is, as a provider, as a pre-hospital provider, is... Um, is, is, is tremendous and the, the scope of practice is huge and the focus is on serving and helping um, military members. So if that meant uh, adding additional things to the protocols and guidelines, we did that very flexibly. If it meant going and working in an ICU for several months to get more experience, we could do that. Um, and the special operations medics have a tremendous scope of practice that includes anything from canine medicine to surgical skills to 
Um, I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. And I think when I started to see that, it really opened up my eyes from the sort of traditional civilian guidelines to saying, you know, pre-hospital medicine can be so much more and we can do so much, uh, we can be so very much more innovative in terms of what we're doing and provide um, more unique and perhaps better services to people in the field. Uh, and it really helped me to see how you can break down a lot of those barriers and often how a lot of those barriers, a lot of the time those barriers need to be broken down because you're not five or 10 minutes away from a hospital. You're potentially days away from uh, advanced medical care. And what does that mean for, um, for delivering pre-hospital uh, emergency care and pre-hospital critical care? And, um, and I think that that really sort of lit the fire um, to eventually pursue the sort of uh, the physician route into uh, fellowship and um, pre-hospital medicine. It's interesting because this is a relatively new specialty or board certification for physicians, if you look at it, you know, pragmatically. And, and so the, the question I have is why is this fellowship and this board certification so important to our industry as, as EMS professionals? What is this board certification going to do to push the industry forward? Oh, so that's an that's an awesome question. It's actually one that uh, that I asked myself previously. It's like, am I really going to take another year of fellowship pay uh, when I've been doing EMS for you know the better part of almost twenty years um, before uh, before starting the fellowship? And the answer is that I, that I realized over time through uh, working with some amazing physician mentors. Um, that it that that really was, and I think it it was a way to explore um, pre hospital care and emergency medical systems in a different way that can really bring the career fields and the specialties uh, of EMS forward, and I think that's important for several reasons. So the the fellowship allows us to focus time on several things. Um, first of all, academics, um, which I think is uh, very important in the sense that from a, from a research and development standpoint, absolutely. Can paramedics do research? Can other pre-hospital professionals do research? Um, but focusing as a physician on that is something I think that's very important too, because understanding the data and understanding the evidence helps us drive practice in a different way because we have the science to support us as opposed to being like, sure, let's do this procedure or sure, let's uh, let's change the protocols this way or sure, let's advance the scope of practice in this way, shape or form. But having the science and the data behind it, um, I think not only helps us drive that, but it helps us reinforce that this is um, this not just a, a bunch of people driving around and putting band-aids on people and intubating people in ambulances and then driving them to the hospital. It's a, it's a, it is a, um, necessary, absolutely necessary, um, civilian or, or civil service, uh, that provides advanced care at the point of injury and provides, um, provides care all the way to the hospital and is advancing that care 
over time. The administrative part of things is also really important. And that's something that I definitely did not get or did not see or understand very well as a paramedic, the, the way that policy is developed, the legal side of things, the political side of things, dealing with different hospital systems and local government and all these other things, which I had no exposure to um, as a paramedic. Um, the operations piece of thing is something that um, I think that I had before coming in as a paramedic. But if you look at most, uh, or I, I, sh I can't say most, but if you look at many of the people who are coming into EMS fellowship, they're physicians with little or no exposure to the field um, and uh, getting uh, getting them through a specialized training that actually puts them in the field and allows them to see what um, paramedics and EMTs and fire rescue personnel, uh, law enforcement and uh, law enforcement medical personnel do in the field on a daily basis is absolutely important. Understanding um, how they operate, what challenges they face, the environment uh, is, is very important, not necessarily so that we could do the job on a daily basis so that physicians can do that job, but so we have our finger on the pulse of what's going on, understanding what the, the challenges those personnel deal with so we could advocate for them uh, inside the hospital and at governmental levels so that we can provide the best QA, QI possible. If something's not working, a lot of the times we just don't know about it until we see it and we're like, oh, okay, that's why this piece of equipment isn't great. That's why this protocol isn't, uh, isn't where it needs to be because it doesn't meet the needs of the providers. It doesn't meet the needs of the people who are doing it and uh, where the rubber meets the road. So I think that's very important too. So I think for those reasons, it's really, really important for physicians that are interested in doing this. And gone are the days of, you know, some guy working, some guy or gal working in the ED, you know, collecting money from local agencies to sign off on uh, registry cards and, uh, uh, occasionally answer questions. Yeah, you, you nailed it. Um, you know, you really did. And I think that that was the emphasis that I really wanted um, to push is that I think that we come from the background in EMS where we're not really respected or validated and we kind of just fall into these different categories. So we would always fall under, and I'm not taking anything away from board certifications in critical care or uh, emergency medicine, but we'd always just kind of be like a subsection under these, right? And so we would kind of slot in and fall under the command of or the instruction of those that really weren't specific to our industry. And that's why to me, and that's why it's so important that we did this podcast, the EMS fellow is our own physician. They understand EMS. They understand what it is we are dealing with on a daily basis. They are the ones that are setting policy based on what it is we deal with. And that's why to me, it's so important that this fellowship and that this board certification not only is understood by our providers, but also gets out to other physicians that are looking for something like this or, or are confused as to, hey, where am I going to go? Because you can be a driving factor in making a difference in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I had these moments where I was thinking about what I was doing with should I definitely do fellowship or not, where I was thinking about all of the, <laughs> all of the terrible medical control calls that I had 
in my career where you call in and, you know, some random person picks up the phone or a resident or somebody picks up the phone and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, just give them this or just do that. And you're like, that's I don't have that drug. Like, I we can't do that. I have no idea what you're talking about. You clearly have no clue what um, what we do or what what our guidelines right. are. And that's that's not that's not super helpful. I've literally had um, medical control physicians in the past. Uh, when I'm calling for help, like, hey, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. I really need help. This patient's super, super sick. We're bringing them to your hospital. And uh, and they're like, oh, that sounds rough. I'll pray for you. And you're like, what? That is that is not very good medical control. It's certainly not helpful for this poor patient. And I was like, you know what? I am, I am going to commit myself to being the best medical director that I can and making sure that crap like that does not happen. I mean, that right there. I mean, did you document that? That, that was the orders given? Because that is just – that just sums it all up, doesn't it? I mean – that should be enough uh, to, to get you through any type of board certification in this because, wow, I mean, this is the stuff we deal with. I've seen docs on, on the box, you know, on telemetry, half asleep. You know, it's just it, you can tell those that are interested or not interested. And we know that those that go for this fellowship or, or look to get certified, board certified, have that passion for this because we all know in EMS you're not doing it for the money. Right. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. So, you know, you have that driving passion within you. Now, as we move forward, tell, maybe talk a little bit about what the fellowship entails. What does that look like as you go through this year? Yes, that's a that's a really good question. And um, each fellowship, in a sense, is a little bit different um, the way they set things up, each program, each medical school or hospital. Um, but in general, I think. Um, it hits on and it focuses on those those various areas that I already sort of alluded to. Um, the academics of like this is these are the different you know this is the the EMS white paper. This is when this policy was established. This is why you know EMS in in different states is there's there's no national entity that controls them and they're all different in all different states. So the history and sort of like the development of EMS as a profession the administrative side of things. So like what the different laws are and scope of practice and all those other things. Those are the things you kind of learn about. Um, you're encouraged to, and I think most programs have um, scholarly projects that they want you to do. So they want to do some kind of research, present things. Um, there's usually, I think, I think it is a requirement. Uh, I know it is at our program um, to do um, quality assurance and quality improvement projects. Um, well, there's no, I don't think most programs have an operational requirement as in you have to spend so many hours out on the street doing stuff. But I know for myself and our and my co-fellows, we spend a significant amount of time uh, in the field, either flying, working with the fire department or uh, my two co-fellows spend a lot of time working with um, the police department and the various SWAT teams doing law enforcement work. So um, that is... That's sort of the the overall scheme of like what we learn and what we go over. But like many things, there is a um, curriculum behind the curriculum that you don't that is not necessarily published or required uh, or in any sort of checklist. But that is um, the getting to know 
the system, the providers uh, in the field on a very intimate level, like what their concerns are, what their challenges are, seeing it very up close and personal these days, um, really seeing the the gritty underbelly of the the city and the local environment where it's like, okay, now I understand why there's so many problems and I see so many patients from this neighborhood, this, you know, the, the, um, the socioeconomics and the, uh, the lack of services in this, in this poor neighborhood and the conditions that people live in when you go and see them uh, on these, on these EMS calls, you get a better understanding of that as well as the un, you know, the unpublished unwritten, uh, curriculum of um, medical direction, understanding things, working with um, some very talented and seasoned EMS supervisors in the fire department and outside the fire department, as well as the medical directors to go over things like how do you handle um, situations where people make pretty significant mistakes, but they're good people. Um, how do you correct them? How do you, how do you talk to them? How do you um, how do you maintain the respect of, uh, of your EMS colleagues while, while, while at the same time still having to be a medical director and, uh, and provide feedback and, and direction and correct um, various mistakes? How you deal with and navigate the different personalities in the, uh, in, in the local government and in the hospital systems to uh, achieve what you need and advocate for uh, your EMS uh, providers. These are all things that are you will not see in the NAEMSP book, um, but are, I think, critical elements of the fellowship and the, and the things that you really uh, that are, are very, very much still valuable, even though they won't be on any particular test. And, and it's, it's interesting because to hear that there aren't necessarily any operational requirements uh, is surprising, but to hear how much you're doing is certainly encouraging because, you know, I would argue that if you're becoming a medical director, you're learning how to lead in that industry. And you can't learn how to lead unless you're on the ground level with the, with the troops, which again, you know, we'll go right back to your military background. You, you need to be in the mix to understand, you know, which direction you're going to lead your industry. And, and that great credit to you uh, and to your co-fellows for taking part in that. And I know that you also do quite a bit still uh, flying, uh, fixed and rotor wing. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, my roots will always be in um, EMS on the streets. And uh, I like to tell people that I kind of, I grew up in the fire department because I literally lived in the fire department in a, in like a closet that I cleaned out while I was an undergrad and, um, and, you know, did chores on the apparatus floor in exchange for free dinners. Um, but um, currently, like the, the project that I'm most interested in, this stems a lot from the Air Force uh, background, the flight medicine thing, is looking at um, critical care transport and flight transport in particular um, of how we move some of the sickest patients around um, this region of the country, which is very, very rural. You know, I, I used to think in, in the Northeast, you know, if we flew 90 nautical miles, um, that was a long flight for us. Now, 100, 150 nautical miles is nothing in the Southwest. Um, so developing systems and looking at how we train and how we um, improve the K-12 
care that we provide as part of a flight critical care transport system is really important to me. And I still love flying, getting out there and doing uh, critical care. It is it is so much fun to me, so challenging, so engaging, uh, and something that I'm really passionate about. So at least, usually it's, it's pretty much like at least one shift out of, or one day out of every six, I'll be flying operationally and then um, doing a lot more protocol develop or clinical guideline development and um, uh, and other training and education stuff in addition to that. So um, that's great. So passionate about critical care that you've decided to go and get board certified in that next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's. Uh, I always think it's you know. First of all, I'm just a glutton for punishment. I think yeah, I was just going to say. It. <laughs> Uh, I tried to convince the VA that um, this this was clear evidence that I had sustained um, too many severe uh, TBIs, but uh, <laughs> you know they said, well, you went in to be a PJ, so that that clearly demonstrates that you had an underlying chemical imbalance before you even came into the military. Truth, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm a glen for punishment. I'll be doing um, two years in the ICU after this. And then hopefully coming back and um, solidifying solidifying a career, uh, both doing critical care transport or uh, critical care transport ED and um, some ICU time, which is a lot. But I actually think it's really important because, again, sort of like hearkening back to um, uh, the days at Pararescuement, if I, I think one of the things that became abundantly clear to me is that in our current systems, we think of... There's pre-hospital stuff and EMS. There's what happens in the ED, and then there's what happens in the ICU or the OR, which is total BS, right? I mean, it, it, the patients don't don't care um, where they are geographically. Nope. And they, uh, you know, to uh, channel Yogi Berra, they need what they need when they need it, right? Correct. Um, they and and therefore those those individual compartments are basically uh, constructs of how we've envisioned our system, not what's best for our patients. And I'm hoping that um, all the work that I've put in will allow me to see those various compartments and smooth out those um, transitions between pre-hospital, ED, and uh, ICU or 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 experiences, because it really is uh, a continuum of care for our patients and uh, improving that continuum, I think, is one of the key pieces uh, to improving outcomes. Well, Doc, I really do appreciate you coming on to just explain a little bit about the importance of the EMS Fellowship and, and your story in particular, because you are exactly what we need in this industry. And we need more of you. Um, and I know that there are others out there that are doing this, but you are an agent of change and we certainly need that to progress this industry. So kudos to you. Um, thank you for coming on to explain this. And obviously I wish you a happy holiday and uh, continue to do what you do. Thank you very much, my friend. Of course, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm certainly in this to win this and hoping to really, um, push things forward on the EMS side. But of, of course, I do stand on the, the shoulders of giants that have come before me uh, and are currently very engaged all over the country uh, in uh, NAEMSP and, and other organizations that I only hope that I can uh, fill their shoes and um, 
uh, and keep things rolling forward. So you're well on your way, my friend. You are well on your way. And I want to thank the listeners. And I also want to wish everyone a happy and healthy holiday. Um, be safe out there. Obviously, we're still uh, we're still in the mix of this pandemic, and and we wish everybody a safe and healthy holiday. Just a friendly reminder that EMS World Expo is October 10th to the 14th, 2022 in beautiful Orlando, Florida. They have extended the call for presentations. So if you are interested in presenting, make sure you get those in. And I thank you again for listening. This is another episode of EMS World Podcast. Catch you on the This next has one. been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Expo.